Welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. Welcome to Life Church. Uh, it is Memorial Day. I actually looked into this and we're not to say happy Memorial Day. We're actually just to acknowledge those who died on our behalf for freedom. And so I just wanna say, uh, we honor Memorial Day. And if you've lost someone due to the battlefield or being in the military, thank you for your sacrifice as well. Uh, would you open to Philippians 2:19 through 30? All of the notes are on the screens or will be in the YouVersion app, but you can raise your hand. Our ushers are coming. We have a Bible for you and you can keep it. It's our gift to you if you'd like to have a paper Bible and you wanna go old school. We are in the book of Philippians and we've been in the book of Philippians for weeks now, and there's one main lesson in the whole book. If I were to spoil the whole book and the rest of the series, the whole point is submission. Didn't know we'd have a morning of submission in worship, but the whole book is wrapped up into submission. Maybe we're prophetically ahead of time walking out what we're doing in the, in the book of Philippians, but the word submission really gross, right? Gross. Like, especially if you're a strong woman like me, like. I hear submission and I'm like, ugh, because men across the world are telling women to sit down and be quiet. And this is what I know. My husband doesn't do that, but I also, I am to submit to my husband. When the Bible says, wives submit to your husband, that does mean wives submit to your husband, but I don't have to submit to all husbands. Biblically, I need to submit to my husband. And luckily my husband is a man of God and he's submissive worthy, if that's a way of saying it. So submission can be gross, but when you submit to the right things, the right person, the right God, it's amazing. Uh, we have a pastor in Toronto, his name is Andre, and he was preaching recently and he told this story, his 13-year-old's you know, 13 and trying to be cool lately. And so he came up to his dad and he said, you're not him. And Andre, who's 47, said, what does that mean? And he walked away. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm 45, I'm younger than that. Like, what does you're not him mean? Uh, you are not him, it's a meme, it's a real something, you know, that young stuff. And you're not him, Andre decided to take and turn on his 13-year-old. So he researched on Google and the Urban Dictionary, what is you are not him? when you're trying to diss your own child because they dissed you earlier like an old man. So he looked it up and he realized, oh, you're not, I know where it goes. So the next time he saw Aston, Aston was wanting something, asking for money, talking about himself. And Andre goes, hey, Aston, you're not him. And Aston's like, yes, I am. And so I'm still sitting in the, the pew in Toronto going, but what does it mean? It means you're not the main character. And so if a, a, a kid looks at somebody, a teenager looks at somebody and says, you're not him. It's you're, you're not the one, you're not the main character. And man, that hit me because we aren't to be the main character in our life, even our own life. Of course, I'm not the main character in your life. I'm not the main character in my family's life, but do you know, I'm not the main character even in my own life. 
That's what submission is. But Paul presents Jesus as the main character throughout Philippians. And then he tells us how Jesus was humble, sacrificial, and then we're supposed to be like him. But how do we live up to Jesus? I mean, it's Jesus. So Paul, in his foresight, he decides to tell us how. And so, yes, in chapter one, the first line of the book of Philippians, uh, Paul begins with how to be submissive, but he talks about this. And I was going to preach this the first week when Pastor Dallas gave me the first few lines to preach in Philippians. I was going to preach on the word Abadah, which means bondservant. However, I went a different direction. And I think it's great because now in this message, which is still in the series, I'm gonna get back to what I originally really wanted to preach on. And it says in Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy bond service of Christ Jesus. Bond servants. So when I, Sean and I were youth pastors in Tacoma, Washington, he was the youth pastor, I should say. I was like the throw in free deal. So I did ministry too, but I did a Sunday school class and I named it Abadah. And we had teenagers from like 13 years old up to 18. I always had about a dozen in my class. It was during first service on Sundays and it was called Abadah. And I just thought, let me call it something that is, sounds old, sounds boring. And I'm going to tell them we're going to read through every book of the Bible this year and we're going to break down the scripture. I thought I'll have two kids max and they'll be the nerdy ones, right? They'll be the ones that, you know, sleep with their Bible. I had a dozen, some were nerdy and some, which nerdy is good. It's, it's good. Uh, and some were like so shocking to me because I wanted to narrow it down to who would even care to find out what Abadah means. Abadah means bond servant, labor, service. It means basically a slave, captives or subjects, service of God. Literally, it means being a slave to God. And I thought that's a strong, strong term. So we're going to get back to that. But look at our verses today, Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you and you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow, I am eager, I am the more eager to send him. Therefore, you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all the joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So, Paul starts with saying, Paul and Timothy, us, we're bond servants. And then when we get to verse two, our scriptures today, he begins to talk about two other servants. These two men have an Abadah spirit. They have a servant of being, a, a spirit of being a servant to God. The Lord, yes, is our model, but Timothy and Epaphroditus are models of this heart. And why did, Jesus, why did Paul say, I need to send people? And why does Jesus why does God send people to the church even today? Why do we have pastors? Why do we have elders? Why do we have people who are old like Barry, who stands up here and cries and makes us realize the Holy Spirit is here? Why? Because still to this day, 
Just like Paul was sending people to the church of Philippi, God is sending people to the church of Green Bay. So the reason that Paul saw that he needed to send these two people because Jesus wasn't on earth and he was in jail is because he knew the church needed to rely on Jesus. However, he knew they needed examples of Jesus and how to do that because Jesus wasn't on earth anymore. Because this is what Jesus said while on earth. But then he left and then somebody had to pick up the slack a little bit on earth. In Matthew eleven twenty five through 30, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and I, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So we hear this like, like don't be yoked with unbelievers. Don't yoke yourself with the wrong thing, but yoke yourself with God. But I believe that what Paul was saying was let me give Give you two men to yoke yourself to, but also ultimately yoke yourself with Jesus. But I just think we have an understanding problem, not an interpretation problem. We have an understanding problem of what a yoke is. So I'm going to show you a yoke and I'm a ranch girl. So I get this. Although I would see these laying around in the junkyard around our ranch and they'd be broken, not completely together. I didn't really know what they were. Some would be attached to a wagon in our yard. Yes, we still had covered wagons, the remnants of them in our yard. I am that ranchy. And so this was a yoke. This is still a yoke. And in ancient culture, the yoke, the word yoke literally means submission. Being yoked to someone or something was in submission to it. So if two oxen are yoked, they're submissive to one another. If one wants to go this way, this one's pulled this way. And according to the stronger oxen or the stronger horse, you get pulled in the direction of the stronger one or the more aggressive, the more rebellious, the one who doesn't want to submit to the ultimate authority of the one who has the reins to the yoke. Being yoked to someone or something is submission. And even before Jesus, there was yoking. I'm gonna show you a picture in ancient Egypt. And there's a gazillion hieroglyphics that uh, I could have shown you. This is just one of them. These are slaves yoked together and tied together. It wasn't that slavery was condoned by God. In fact, it was something that when one kingdom would take over another, one country would go take over a city, they would yoke them and make them slaves. It's not what God intended. It's why throughout the Bible, he says, I'm gonna free you from the yoke of bondage. So just because this is ancient doesn't mean it's what God wanted, but this shows you that yoking has been going on forever. I'm gonna show you more of a present day one where a man is literally showing what it looks like to be yoked, these two oxen. Jews referred to this, and Jesus was good at telling us stories that people already knew back then. It was an agricultural land, so to say yoke was like us saying peanut butter and jelly. Like, I don't have to explain that to you. You just know what that is. And they just knew what a yoke was. In fact, they used the word yoke so much, they said they were yoked under Roman authority during Jesus' time. They said that their neck was under the yoke of the Torah, and that wasn't a negative thing. They meant that the, the Torah, the original, the first books of the Bible for the Jewish people, they were yoked, they were tied to it, it was what they carried. So it wasn't always bad. In fact, yoked to the rabbi was another term that was used, that you would be yoked to someone who was mentoring you. 
And so, you know, if you're a carpenter, as Jesus was a, he was a tectone, and he was, he had a rabbi growing up, but he also had his father Joseph, who was teaching him carpentry, which would have looked like masonry and, and building things from rock. But if you were with a carpenter, a wood carpenter, there'd be splinters under your fingers and the carpenters that you're learning from. It would get messy, but you would be yoked to the rabbi, yoked of the rabbi. So we need to realize that yoking is something that has always happened that even happens now. For instance, you have a yoke on your family right now. You came from a yoke of a family legacy. Some of us need to break it, need to sever the yoke of bondage from family ties, from family abuses, from I've got to come from a family of alcoholics. I come from a family of drug addicts. My husband had to break the cycle of, from a family of people who served life in prison. That's a big yoke, but we, we will speak that over ourselves because we're really yoked to that legacy. We have a choice though with our own children to not yoke them under a bad bondage, but they are yoked. Whether we like it or not, my kids are under the weight of expectation of our yoke, the Hennessy yoke. This is a real thing. We just haven't really understood it. So I have a question for you. Have you been under the yoke of debt for years? Submissive to the lender, the collector, and you have the weight of what you owe. Have you been under the yoke of body insecurities for years? Nobody can see it, nobody knows, but you're crippled by putting on a couple extra pounds or you're crippled by that you're 100 pounds overweight and you, it just, it consumes you. Have you been under the yoke of a heavy, unpeaceful or abusive relationship for years? Have you been under a yoke? It's heavy. Your expectations are heavy. Others' expectations, said or unsaid, you think they have about you are heavy. My daughter and son, first year of college this year, and now they're interning at a church. And then the question is always, what are you doing next year? What are you doing? That is an expectation. That is a heavy question. Can I just say, if you know someone who's a senior in high school or up to age 21, don't ask them what they're doing or what they're doing next year or what they're doing with life. It is a weight that they're walking around going, yeah, I need to figure out what I need to do for the next 40 years of my life that I'll love, that I'll make money, that I'll find the right spouse and I'll have my whole life planned out and they're crippled by the expectation, the yoke of expectation. But our whole, all of our problems, not just the young people, all of our problem is that we're yoked to ourself and sometimes our self alone. It's called self-sufficiency. And a yoke with one side carrying all the weight, this is where horsepower comes from, the term horsepower that you still hear of cars, because back in carriage days and then in wagon days and horse-drawn carriage days, uh, the number of horses was the horsepower. And so the more horses, the more power, because they can go faster and they can carry more, multiplied, not just doubled by the next horse, but multiplied when the yoke is not carried alone, when the yoke is not self-sufficient. But we have been in this position since the Garden of Eden. Uh, sin separated us and created self-sufficiency right back to the garden. Sin caused pain and labor, which, I mean, when, when Jesus, or when God said, uh, now you're gonna have pain, and toil in your labor, it wasn't that Adam had never done work before. He named the animals, he cared for them, he was probably seed, planting, harvesting, 
Labor isn't the problem. It's the stress and strain of labor that happened when sin separated us and we became self-sufficient. We actually find joy in our work, joy in our labor when we're doing it the right way. Then also Eve, Eve was told you're gonna have pain in childbirth, but actually we've misinterpreted that. It actually means in your child conceiving, you will have pain. This is a torment of the mind. How many women are barren or they miscarry and they miscarry and then they have the baby and then they worry the baby will stay alive and they worry when the baby gets so sick and they worry as their kids get their license and will they stay alive in the cars that drive by them and they're in. And, and the, the toil of child conceiving, of bearing and raising a child, it wasn't that it was bad, it went from bad to worse, it was the worry because in self-sufficiency we worry. But God showed from the very beginning he'll cover us. Even in that story, he covered Adam and Eve. In fact, he showed he was sufficient. Don't be self-sufficient, Adam and Eve, and worry about your own nakedness and get fig leaves. He changed the status of animals, skin the animals, and put the clothes on Adam and Eve because even in their sin, he said, don't be self-sufficient. But since the fall, the yoke of slavery is upon us for our own agenda. We reject God fully or in some areas every day because we've come, become a slave to ourselves, to our goals and our plans. In fact, when you look at the disciples, they were slaves, even as they were trying to give it up and follow Jesus, they were slaves to their agenda. Judas was the slave to money to the fact he would sell out Jesus because he was still trying to be self-sufficient in, but then if I make this money by selling Jesus, then I'll be self-sufficient. Peter was working on the Sabbath and when Jesus found him and, and Peter was like, I've, I'm a business owner, God, you think I can't be self-sufficient and I need to go with you and leave my fishing business? And Jesus is like, yeah, that's exactly it. And that's us. And the first way in which you break a yoke of self-sufficiency is by Sabbathing, by Shabbat. So this is the very first way you do it. Pastor Sean has talked many times over the years about Sabbath, about rest, because it comes from Exodus 23, 12, which says you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day, you must stop working. This gives your ox and your donkey a chance to rest. It also allows your slaves and foreigners living amongst you to be refreshed. This came from the 10 commandments that you should on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day, Rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. The Jews back in that time, they had to do it because it reminded them that if they didn't work on the seventh day, they'd still have enough to survive. It was literal proof God didn't make them work unendingly to provide for them. They weren't self-sufficient. In fact, Leviticus 26, 13 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of yoke and I have made you walk erect. What he wants us to do, it doesn't mean we have to go and read our Bible all day on a seventh day. It does mean that we stand erect, that we're, 
we're broken in the bondage of slavery, of our job, of our agenda, that if we just push a little harder and work till 9 p.m., that then we'll, no, what it's saying is just give some space every week so God can prove to you that you can be sufficient through him, not self-sufficiency. So I'm gonna talk about, to wrap this up, three kinds of yoking. Three kinds of yoking, and we'll get back to Timothy and Epaphroditus in a moment. There's three kinds of yoking. There's the bad yoking. This is a codependency on someone to fulfill you, to carry your load, but mostly you end up accepting their load, their yoke of bondage. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? And then Galatians 5, 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We're not talking master and slave. We're talking a yoke of slavery that you're bond in a relationship that is unhealthy. That's bad yoking. To be unequally yoked means that two oxen were not equal in strength and one was weaker. Now, sometimes they would put two oxen, if we can go back to the wooden yoke slide, sometimes they'd put one oxen on one side that was older and wiser, but they would add an equal sized or closely sized oxen who was younger and stronger. Because the wise oxen might not have the stamina, but would direct and knew the path, knew where do we go, and the wisdom of when to respond well, when to submit to the authority of the person running the plow. The the younger one had the strength and could learn from the wiser one. That's not being unequally yoked. In fact, this is what Paul was saying when he said, Church of Philippi, I'm sending Timothy and Epaphroditus to you because they have been so smart. In fact, I found the Jesus or the Jewish New Testament in my husband's office last night, and I took it right off his shelf, and I thought, I wonder if the Jewish New Testament, since it's way more historical than my, you know, NIV, NET, if it says anything different. This is what it says about Timothy. But you know his character that like a child with his father, he slaved with me to advance the good news. Now, we've you know, sterilized and made the Bible less offensive. And so you see bond servant, you see fellow worker in our translations. But in the Jewish, they just said it. He slaved with me. Paul and Timothy, Paul strong, wise, and had been through it. And Timothy, young and strong, but willing, they had slaved together. And then about Epaphroditus, he says, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Fellow, and any of you in the military, hello, it's Memorial Day, it's a side by side. One might be older and wiser, and that's perfect because the other is coming up and needs to be trained. Bad yoking is when it's unequally yoked in that one is going to be weaker and pull the other down. I found a way to be able to use my stick again because one in, one in five, no, every other sermon, I wanna be able to use my staff, so it shall be a few. Some of you know what I'm talking about because you see me use my stick. In fact, one of the staff members bought me this, I think, it showed up in my office, a new one, uh, because there's a lot to learn from the staff in the Bible. But I wanted to use this just so that I had a, a representation of yoking. You know, you've heard the thing, and youth probably have heard this. My mom taught me this. My mom then showed my children this. She got up on a chair, and she said, 
try to pull me down. And my daughter, who was 11, could pull her right off the chair. And then my mom tried to pull Aubrey up and Aubrey was only 11 and it was much more difficult. She said, see, it's easier to pull someone down in a relationship. That's unequally yoked. It's much easier to pull them off the chair, pull them down than to pull them and lift them up. And in yoking, unequally yoked looks like this, that your Jesus journey is here, but then you yoke with someone who has a different belief. You marry someone who has a different belief. And then it's a little like this and you're like, um, I'm trying to pull us along, but I'm carrying more, I'm lifting higher, and it's difficult. So they don't unequally yoke oxen, and we're not to be unequally yoked. The next kind of yoking is submission yoking. This is submission yoking, really what I was talking about at the beginning. This includes being submissive to Jesus. First Timothy 6, 1 and 2 says, let all who are under a yoke as slaves, now let's not think so negatively of that term, think Abadah, regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. This is saying exactly what I was saying at the beginning. When we have an authority, a spiritual authority that comes from God, and then we stay under a spiritual authority or covering. It's beautiful. It's wonderful and it comes with a blessing. And then Isaiah 58, 6, 6 says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loosen the chains of injustice, untie the cord of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. And so submission yoking is saying, let's find a Timothy, let's find an Epaphroditus, let's find a Pastor Barry, let's find your life group leader, your alpha leader, let's find someone who you can yoke yourself with that you know they are on their Jesus journey and they're just a little bit older, wiser, and stronger. It doesn't have to be a pastor, it just has to be somebody. In fact, Timothy, he was a convert of Paul who went to be uh, to help Paul plant churches. And then Epaphroditus, as I said, he was someone that was a fellow soldier, a fellow worker. And this gets us to good yoking, the ultimate good yoking. Submission yoking and relationships and Jesus, that's awesome. But what's the best kind of yoking? The best kind of yoking is what I talked about in the beginning, Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me, this is Jesus in red letters. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, when I heard that verse before, I, was all, I would even get it mixed up. Like, my yoke is light, my burden, my burden's light. My yoke is light, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It makes no sense if you're yoked and you're pulling a load. You're pulling forward your life your work, your family, this is work. Let's be honest, so that verse never made sense to me until I realized when Jesus gets in the yoke with me, he kind of lifts me off my toes and he lifts me up in the yoke. And when he pulls, I'm like, okay, here I come versus let me pull this and God, I need you to come along in certain parts. If he will be the one I'm yoked to, then he lifts it up and it's light. And it's easy because he pulls us forward and I follow the yoke. I get in the yoke with him. It's so much better. And the great thing about Jesus is he didn't lob grenades from heaven. He stepped in and said, let me put the yoke on. Let me step into the yoke. He brought unity. He yoked with us. 
That was his purpose in coming to earth, is to break the yoke of bondage and to step into the yoke with us. A paraphrase, my paraphrase would be, get in the yoke with me. Let me disciple you. I'll bear the weight of your burden. My yoke is good and you'll find rest and you'll also find companionship in our labor together. If I could replace anybody in this yoke, I'd even replace Sean with the yoke of Jesus in this. Jesus, a rabbi himself, is offering a yoke and he offers it to soft-hearted people. You know, Jesus was the most brilliant Jewish scholar and he wasn't just coming to say outlandish things. He was bringing a principle of the yoke that everybody knew since ancient Egypt. And he was saying, let me step in. I wanna, I wanna end with this. There's a, a poem that I saw on a really, you remember those picture frames that were like pine wood and they were laminated and they'd like put a picture on the wood and then over laminate the whole picture back in the seventies and eighties. And it was really ugly, but it was really popular. It looked lacquered. And so there was a poster and it was in the hallway of my parents' ranch. And I remember before I could read, I would look up at it and I would just try to understand what it was. And my mom explained it to me one time and I still would just stare at it and I couldn't understand. Now I understand specifically when I think of the yoke. It's called Footprints in the Sand. This is what it said. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints in the sand. I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me, so I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why. When I needed you the most, you would leave me. He whispered, my precious child, I love you and I will never leave you, never ever. During your trials and testings, when you saw only one foot of, set of footprints, that is when I carried you. What does Jesus do when we yoke with him? He brings us ease, lightness, peace, and wisdom. Following Jesus through salvation, through yoking, it will cost us everything. But are you willing? to be a bondservant to him? Are you willing to be submissive to him? Are you willing to be under an authority that makes you a bondservant to the Bible? Will you bow your head and close your eyes all across here? Maybe you say, yeah, I, I know I need to go to the next step and there's some things I'm living in self-sufficiency, but honestly, I just, I haven't really accepted Jesus into my heart and life. And that's the first step is just receiving him as your personal Lord and Savior. And so maybe you've never done that or you've done that, but you've walked away and you need to ask Jesus back into your life. So without anybody looking around, I'm not gonna center you out, have you stand up. I'm just gonna have you lift your hand, make eye contact with me and put it right back down. And then after that, everyone in here is gonna pray the same prayer with you. Uh, so if that's you and you say, I just need Jesus in my life, will that you raise your hand, slip it up and back down make eye contact with me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Over here. Thank you. Anybody else that I missed? Well, everyone in here, thank you. Just 
Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior, to be Lord of my life and to save me from myself. I repent, please forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to just walk this road with you. Fill out the hello card and check the box that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus because it's an important step. And we are here to yoke with you. We are here to be a part of the Jesus journey and walk it with you. Will you one more time bow your head and close your eyes? Because for some of us, we've been yoked to body insecurity. We've been yoked to the lender. We've been yoked to our job that we know if we just put in a few extra hours each week, everything would be okay. And yet that doesn't seem to be working out. We've been yoked to holding on to our, our pocketbook, if that's what you even call it anymore. We've been yoked to something that's just not fulfilling and you just wanna uncompartmentalize and be yoked to Jesus. If that's you and it's just like, I need to quit being self-sufficient in one area or another, will you just raise your hands? Thank you all over the place. Thank you, Jesus. So for my friends, God, thank you that you're so good to us, that you did come down from heaven and say, I'll do this with you if you want. And God, you're a gentleman. You don't jump into the yoke and push somebody else out. And I wish you would, I wish you would maybe be more forceful, but instead you're a gentleman and you wait for us to say, God, step into the yoke with me. I need to quit being self-sufficient. I need, I need your yoke because I need it to be easier and lighter. So for all my friends, God, let that be not just our prayer, but our action in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew On That. The Chew On That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week.